guys. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Oh man, I feel like I haven't talked to you guys in a bit. Because the last two episodes I put out, I recorded a few weeks ago before I went on this two-week-long trip because I didn't want to, you know, have to worry about bringing my podcast equipment with me. But I realized I missed you. I feel feel disconnected at this point, and I have so much so much to tell you. Um, I was on a long trip that Stassi and I are going to recap next week uh, together. We're going to swap podcasts. But uh, I was on a trip from we went to Charleston first for a few days, and then we flew from Charleston to London to hang out with our friend and fellow podcaster, Jackie Shimon. She showed us around. It was an amazing time. We hung out with her and her super sweet, amazing husband. She really hit the goddamn jackpot. I mean, and and she's wonderful too, but she can like, I still just love how she just can like abuse him and he just smiles at her. That's so cute. That's, that's the goal. I just want someone that just thinks I'm adorable even when I'm like being mean to them. Um, So we went to London, hung out with her, had a blast. And then we were like, God, we can't be this close to Paris and not go there. So we decided to extend our trip and then we went to Paris for four days. Um, Just, you know, another romantic trip with just me and Stassi. It's really just getting excessive. Um, I mean, to the point where we're at dinners and people are calling us Mrs. Schroeder, both of us. Um, So, you know. Um, But yeah, I'm going to recap that whole trip next week with her it, it, there's there's a lot that happened a lot of cool stuff uh, a lot of interesting stuff like getting lost on a trail in the middle of Paris didn't know there were trails in the middle of the city of Paris and we got lost uh, on one at night and we had to like climb over some rocks and it was like a little little sketchy very sketchy actually but fortunately my mom made me pack this um personal uh personal alarm device or personal defense device thing that she sent me the day before um which was basically like a rape whistle, and then this really loud alarm button that you can push. So I was just kind of firing off the rape whistle as we were walking. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. I'm going to recap that next week. Uh, I also got to do stand-up in London. That was great. And in Paris, uh, I performed at this place in Paris before, and it was cool to go back. So I'll talk about that all next week, too. It was amazing. But this week's episode is one of the most interesting stories I have ever heard and crazy stories I've ever heard. So this, this girl that's um, going to come on in a, in a little bit, I recorded with her a few weeks ago too, and I'm releasing it now. Um, so her sister messaged me on um, Instagram and it was in response to, I can't remember something that I had said, like maybe I was watching something about true crime and and said something on Instagram story. And she says, uh, I've had the craziest life story. Me and my sister, um, my dad adopted a guy who had previously murdered his first adopted parents. So just try to let that settle in. A guy murders his first adopted parents. He goes to jail. These girls dad then adopts him into their family and you're going to hear the whole crazy story and um yeah when she first messaged me she sent me a link to this article her sister wrote and then and then the book and this and the movie that was made about it that neil patrick harris played uh their adopted brother um so yeah so uh so uh the girl's sister is who's going to be on my podcast uh because she's the one that talks a lot most about it and you're going to find her so fascinating. She's lovely. Uh, she's a fantastic writer. 
Um, her name is Amity Bitzel, and uh, she's coming on right now to tell this. It's it's really it's 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 the craziest story I've ever heard. I think it really really is. So, you know, also I want to warn you there are parts that are um, graphic in nature. So I don't know if you want to like have it, you know, on loud in your office or in front of your kids. So just a little warning. All right, here she is. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back from the episode of Be Here for a While. I have such an interesting guest today. I have been, well, basically following this story ever since her sister messaged me on Instagram. Um, I will intro her first. Uh, this is Amity Bitzel. She teaches writing in college. Uh, she's been Her story's been featured on This American Life. She also has a true crime podcast. And she happens to know a lot about that genre because she lived somewhat of it. I mean, I guess you weren't involved in it, but it, it is really an incredible story. And I got even more into, you know, wanting you on the podcast after the, after Dirty John came out. Not that it's anything like the same story, mm. but it's like, I've never really done any type of like interview. I, I mean, I still say I talk right. about comedy, but I was like, I have to talk to this girl. Um, <laughs> so... Your story, do you want to, do you, why don't you just start telling it? Sure. Um, so as you were saying, it is just super bizarre. I always joke that no matter what someone's story is, I'm always like, I can top that. Um, mm-hmm. Not in a callous way, but it's just so like meta and surreal and just strange. So the post-it note version um, is essentially that my family ended up adopting a man named Lawrence Swartz, Larry Swartz. And Larry Swartz was someone who killed his adoptive mother and father um, quite brutally and violently. And through a long kind of circuitous process, which we can kind of get into, um, my father ended up writing to Larry in prison because he was convicted of of killing his parents. And um, they fostered a relationship between the two of them. And eventually, Larry was released from prison and came to live in our household with myself, my dad, my mom, my younger sister, um, as he was, I think, like in his late 20s at that point when he came to live with us. And so you had all these bizarre layers of the murder and what he had done. And it's just, yeah, it's still just utterly bizarre. So that's like the really quick and dirty version. Yeah, and we're going to totally get into it because the the details of it are so fascinating to me. Right, And it's it's so interesting that not only did he murder his his previously adoptive parents, Mm -hmm. But there was no reason for your dad to adopt a 27-year-old man. No. He's 27. So, right. so already it's a little risky, maybe, because he'd murdered his parents, his previous adopted parents. But then, you would think. You would think he would kind of be like, huh. Yeah, right. maybe, maybe a little bit of a red flag. Um, a little, yeah. Mm-hmm. So take me back to that. So that before, before Larry came to live with you guys, um, mm-hmm. was your dad, like, would you have ever guessed your dad would have done something like this? I mean, I think the sheer scope of this particular action is just so, like, bizarro world that, no, I don't think I could have anticipated that. Um, But we did, I mean, we just came from a really dysfunctional family. My dad kind of, I think, um, bore the lineage of being abused as a child in his own life. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he kind of, you know, precipitated that cycle of abuse onto myself and my sister and my mom. Um, He was an alcoholic. He had a really horrible temper and just a lot of mental health issues. And um, part of like deciding to write about all of this and talk about it was one to just kind of be like, you guys, this happened and it's so bizarre. And I just have to tell everybody at this point, once I got older enough to kind of process. Mm -hmm. But also part of that was trying to figure out 
like, um, I was going to just drop an F-bomb, but I'm not sure how you feel You about are totally that. allowed to. I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I do it all the time. Okay, cool. So part of me is just trying to figure out, like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? Why would my dad do something like this? And you like, guys were little, little girls, right? How old were you? Yeah, I was a teenager in high school, and my sister, um, she's six years younger than me. So when we first started having to, like, go visit him in jail and things progressed, I was, like, 14, and she was, like, eight or nine. So, yeah, okay. pretty pretty little, yeah. Yeah. And I'm reading the story that you that you wrote on Exo Jane, just kind of mm-hmm. about your dad. Like, he would, like, drive – he would make you guys get in the car when he was drunk and just, like, drive you guys around. Yeah, he just did a lot of just really kind of fucked up stuff all the time. Um, primarily when he was drinking, that would almost seem like the fuse to just set his temper off and he would really act out. He was more physical with our mom than he was with us, mm-hmm. which I think is almost worse in a way because you kind of have to see that. And as little kids, you're powerless and you can't like step into help. So there was a lot of like, you know, domestic violence kind of situations with, with choking and hitting and just just flipping out for, you know, basically no provocation, just flipping out. And so you always felt like you were just kind of walking on eggshells and just sort of terrified and you never knew what was going to happen. So he's always been a highly unpredictable person where you just can't quite figure out what is going on in his brain. Mm -hmm. But starting this relationship with Larry was, yeah, something that I don't think anyone (laughs) could have ever seen coming, unfortunately. And do you think your mom just didn't speak up about it? Like, hey, maybe we shouldn't adopt the 27-year-old murderer because she was afraid (laughs) of your dad? Yeah, I think that's very much a classic kind of battered woman syndrome kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is so sad. And it, I mean, it just makes yeah. me so sad to this day. Um, but, you know, when people would be like, well, why didn't so-and-so just leave? And I would just leave if that was me. And I totally understand mm-hmm. that rationale and that impetus. But kind of like seeing that through my mom's eyes, I think you do just get so like worn down and dehumanized yeah. and scared that it's not it's Well, not she that probably simple. wanted to protect you guys, too. I'm sure that there's so many right. layers to it. Yeah. Right. Utterly. And I I mean, I wish her, her mode of that had been like to get the hell out of that house, but that didn't happen. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I don't, I don't really know what her true feelings are. She's very emotionally distant. Um, we won't, you know, we've never really talked about it to say, Hey, what did you think when all this was happening? Because she just, you know, she's very kind of insular and, um, introverted with that stuff. And Mm -hmm. she's really, she's not going to open up and talk about it, but I'm sure she was kind of like, Oh my God. But she just didn't feel safe enough to express any of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so, uh, okay, going back to Larry's story. So fully explain mm-hmm. what happened with him before you guys met him, his backstory. Right. So Larry's, so the Larry's brother... story. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to reiterate. Larry's the, the brother that they adopted. Right. So Larry's the, the person we adopted, and Larry's the one that um, murdered his, his parents, essentially. So Larry's story is really sad, and I think, um, I mean, obviously all of this is part of the reason that I started a true crime podcast, just because it's so compelling and interesting and sad and fascinating, but as with many people that commit these kinds of crimes, he came from a really tumultuous and abusive background. Uh, Larry was abandoned by his bio mom, I don't know, when he was pretty little, and then he went through a succession of foster homes, and all the, like, kind of stereotypical things that you would read or infer about kids that have been abused in foster homes. Like you would have mysterious injuries. He had a broken arm and went home or the foster families would report that he was like up in the middle of the night going through the trash can, like trying to find stuff to eat. So like all those markers of abandonment and just having like food insecurity and being abused always seemed really just omnipresent with him. 
So he went through a succession of foster homes, um, and he finally ended up with the Swartzes when he was six. And at first, I guess, things were okay. The thing about Larry, which people are always like, well, aren't, weren't you so scared? And Which, obviously, yes, you would think, like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But his affect was so just chill. I mean, he seemed like such a nice, like, laid-back person. Once, I mean, I never could, like, separate the this bizarroness of everything, mm-hmm. but him as a person, like he wasn't, you would never, you know how you get that bad vibe from people Yeah, intuitively. And you're like, Oh my God, this person's a bag of dicks and they're a little scary. Like you, I never got that feeling from him. Uh-huh. So he just, you know, so anyways, as a child, when he was adopted by the sports, apparently he was like that. He was quiet. He was kind of laid back. He was kind of a meeker kind of kid. Um, and the sports are like a whole other bucket of worms. They were very, very religious to the point where something I always thought was really telling about Bob Swartz, Larry's dad, was that he would totally go out to Planned Parenthood and, like, do anti-abortion picketing, which I'm always just like, if you're doing that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that says something about you. Totally. So very religious, very, very strict. They had really high disciplinary standards. And the thing about Larry was, I don't know if this is a combination of just that's how he would have been anyways or because of all the trauma um, going through different foster homes. But he had um, some learning disabilities and some, like, processing issues in terms of his schoolwork. And so he never seemed to quite live up to their standards in terms of, like, behavioral stuff and academic stuff. And for a while, everything was fine. And then the the Swartzes adopted another brother uh, whose name was Michael, and he came to stay with them as well. And Michael, I guess, was kind of, like, deemed the, the scapegoat or the, you know, the problem kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a temper. There was a lot of conflict between Michael and the Swartzes. And Larry kind of saw all that, and Michael was kind of getting the brunt of the abuse. And I guess it escalated eventually to physical stuff in terms of punishment with Michael. And it got to the point where when the boys were teenagers, they actually, the, the parents kicked Michael out of the house entirely. And then the last piece of the puzzle was that, uh, the Swartzes adopted a little girl from South Korea named Annie. Okay. And Larry really loved her, like doted on her. I mean, he was close with Michael as well, but it was so kind of tumultuous. And then Michael was forced to leave. So with Annie, he was really, really close to her. He really cared about her. And it's interesting to kind of try to separate like the stuff that I gleaned, not from Larry directly, because can you imagine, like, as a teenager being like, so tell me about yeah, like, did, did that you killed. Did he ever talk to you guys about it? I mean, I know, no. and we'll, we'll get to this later. You guys obviously yeah. watched the movie about him with him, right. that, which I think is crazy. So, right, right, right. so besides that, you guys never talked about no. what, Okay. No, which now, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping around too Not much. Not at all. It's just such a, okay. Just be like, get back on task if I am. But <laughs> the other thing with that, like, I'm, I wish so badly now as an adult, like, now I totally... I would try to obviously have to find a way to do it that wouldn't be like offensive and whatever. But I would love to sit down and talk with Larry and be like, dude, what? Like, what? What happened? What really happened? Like, what were you thinking? What did you think about our family? Um, but spoiler alert, Larry's actually dead. He died in I 2005. Read that. It's so sad. Yeah, he's, he's oh. dead. So I can't, you know, I can't do that. And as a teenager, I just didn't have the capacity, the wherewithal. Like, I would have rather died myself than try to like ask him about any of that. Yeah. So that's where the weird kind of dissonance comes in too. Like I know what I know that my parents have told me that Larry told them, right. Mm-hmm. Versus the things that 
like anyone could read about online. And obviously, I don't have access to things like coroner's reports or whatever, but based on the journalism done around the case. So there are some things that kind of, you know, are filtered through my parents, but they're things that they said Larry, you know, told them. Okay. So according to Larry, um, once Annie was there and Michael was gone, the disciplinary stuff, like they were just super, the parents were super ridiculously just crazy strict. Like Larry wasn't allowed to date. Um, one of the anecdotes that always is brought up is that they had a swimming pool, but the Swartzes were so um, just kind of rigid. Like if you splashed and any of the water went up on the deck, then they would flip out on you. Like just really mm-hmm. beyond the pale kind of stuff. But were they so, actually physically abusive towards them or were they just like... Yeah, I mean, it se- it seems like initially the physical stuff was directed towards Michael, who, again, was kind of like the bad-tempered child. Mm-hmm. But then it did eventually escalate um, th- where Larry alleges as well that he was physically abused by the dad. Okay. Yeah. So, and the other component was just Larry, like, you know, you're a teenager, you're in school, you want to date and be social and whatever. And I take it that the Swartzes had very rigid views on, um, like, sexuality and dating and so that was a big source of conflict between Larry and his parents as well, along with his academics. But apparently the, the real pressure point was that Larry felt that they were going to eventually turn all of their um, just really ridiculous requirements and being like verbally abusive onto Annie, the adopted sister. And he just could not bear the thought of that. And that's something that's not really reported that something more that has come to me again kind of filtered through my parents filtered mm-hmm. through Larry so all of this has just been like going on and going on the conflicts with the parents Larry's getting bad grades at school he's not allowed to date he's worried that they're going to um, kind of escalate these things on the little sister he's really upset that they basically threw the brother out of the house and all of that just kind of colludes in this perfect storm where uh, one night, Larry had an argument with, um, I believe, his mom first. That he had gone on a date with someone, and she was like, that girl's a whore. You can't go out with her anymore. Um, and then, like, the dad flipped out on Larry for Larry being on his computer. And at that point, Larry had gone back to his room, and apparently he had started drinking around this period. So he got drunk. And I guess, you know, I don't know. Like, that's why it's so weird. You can just, you just have to picture him in his room, like, being half drunk and just dwelling and obsessing over all of this stuff. And I don't, I don't know. We'll never, you know, fully really know where his mindset was. Yeah. But he, at some point, went downstairs and, I guess for lack of a better term, snapped. Um, And he picked up a wood maul, which is basically like an axe. Um, mm-hmm. But it has, like, that different kind of head. And he bludgeoned his his mom. And then he said he could still hear her breathing. And in his mind, the breathing was really, really loud. And he just wanted to stop. And he had brought a, a kitchen knife in with him as well. And he stabbed her, like, multiple times in her throat. And then the dad came in, I'm sure, you know, hearing the noise to see what was going on. And he stabbed the, the father to death as well. I wonder how the so father wasn't the, able to, like, stop him in time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they were – I don't know how old they were, to be honest. I'd have to actually research. But I don't – they weren't – these weren't, like, young people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if just the shock – because, again, Larry was, like, the good one. I'm air quoting here, as if you can mm-hmm. see it. But he wasn't – you know, he was such, like, a mild-mannered dude. Like, you, I don't think anyone would have ever, ever, ever expected 
him doing this. Like the other brother that was like constantly in trouble and had a temper and would like speak back to them, maybe him. Mm-hmm. But this is your classic like, oh, they were so quiet and I never yeah. would have, you know, dreamed they would have done this and blah, blah, blah. So after um, the killing actually happened, and, and where was the little, kind of rep- and where was the Go little ahead. sister? Was she she was house? upstairs sleeping, but she okay. does play in a little bit later in okay. terms of like how Larry tried to play it. So okay. um, I'm just trying to think of even where to to kind of go next. Um, so after there's different aspects of reporting, but I do remember again reading because I never spoke to Larry about any of this that he it does seem like he really disassociated during the act. And he said something about his body was like moving too fast for his mind to keep up. And even though he knew intellectually, he was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. What are you doing? You have to stop. He couldn't. Mm-hmm. He just couldn't stop himself. And his body kept going. And he, he heard himself kind of growl almost. Wow. Is, ugh, just so terrifying. But he couldn't stop, I guess, um, once he started. So after the actual killing happened, um, I guess I'll just kind of go to the next morning and then backtrack a little bit. Okay. So, and this happened, um, this was January 16th, 1984, when he actually committed the killings. So the next morning, Larry calls 911, and when everyone gets there, Larry and Annie, the little sister, are there in the house holding hands. And Larry was very, very calm, which is something that they all thought was really weird, Um, because his affect was just, you know, you think he would kind of be hysterical or whatever. And he was just Mm -hmm. sort of like, this is what's happening. So they found the dad's body, um, and he was covered in blood. He had cut marks on him. And then the mom's body was in the backyard. And this is where, as if everything wasn't squicky enough, it's just, it squicks me out really bad. Um, so she was basically naked. Like she had a sock on, um, she had been stabbed pretty badly. I mean, her neck was really lacerated. Um, her scalp. Lacerated was, meaning what? Like, like, like pretty, she'd been choked or she was no, stabbed like in the lacerated, back? I mean, in terms of the knife, like after she was bludgeoned, he really went at her with a knife. In oh, the got area. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the other part of that, like, I'm not that I, I kind of understand at least some of the impetus for why he did what he did in a sense. But then there's the additional detail that I always find so distressing was that um, later Larry did admit to one of his lawyers that he like sexually violated his mom, um, in, yeah, I, I in read the, that you said in the that yard. In the, in the mis- this is okay. So he drug her out to the yard. He drug her out to the yard. Mm-hmm. Cause she was like originally inside the house when he first. Yes. Okay. Yeah. She was originally inside the house. Yeah. And there's this whole other weird thing that I don't know, but they did find like footprints through the snow, kind of cutting through the woods right. and out like a DUI or something like mm-hmm. years later, but never, ever, ever. No. Yeah. And then, okay, so he's in prison, and they write a book about him, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a book called Sudden Fury um, by Leslie Walker, who was a local reporter, and that book came out. And my mom was a true crime person, and she read the book. And for some reason, my dad read the book, and he doesn't even read, so like, I don't know what that was about. I guess just because we were all in the state of Maryland, so it was somewhat local. Mm-hmm. So my dad read it, and I'm not sure. I have no idea like precisely when he started writing to him or how long before like we were all brought in on that. But my dad wrote to Larry in prison, and they exchanged letters back and forth. And as weird as that sounds, like Larry had a lot of people that, um, that did that, that were strangers. Mm-hmm. And... That does happen. I mean, yeah. you have, like, 
the whole like murder groupie thing, which mm-hmm. is really creepy and disturbing. Um, and so, but Larry, like really, a lot of people really, um, I guess in a different way than like, oh, I'm going to write to Richard Ramirez and just be creepy. Like, because Larry wasn't this showboating, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I want to have prison groupies. Um, I, I just think he, I don't know, people sort of seem to see whatever in him, whether they had their own abusive childhood or whatever it was. And, um, apparently he was pretty receptive to communicating with people, so they started fostering that relationship through written communication, and then um, it kept progressing until, and we kind of, I mean, we knew, I guess, that he was writing letters, and I was just like, that's really fucking weird, but okay. And then I got to the point where my dad was like, so we're going to go visit Larry in prison. Um, and I do remember just being like, what, 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 what did you, what did you just say? But you can't like, again, this is my dad who ruled the house. Yeah. There wasn't any like recourse to be like, no, actually I'm not going to do that. I'm not really feeling that dad. Yeah. And why did he need to take you guys anyways? Why didn't he just go alone? Yeah. I don't, and I'm sure he did initially, but I think at that point he probably, um, like, I don't know how long he was machinating this whole adoption thing you know what I mean like there Mm -hmm. I just I don't know so maybe like once he started hatching that plot he was like well they all need to meet each other Rachel I don't even know like you just cannot make any sense out of it yeah I mean so you guys go visit him (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my sister because again she was younger she was always a lot closer to Larry like I would say that they actually had more of a familial kind of relationship Whereas I was old enough to just be like, this is fucked. I don't understand any of this. Um, And so I wasn't, you know, trying to, like, have bonding time with Larry. So (laughs) she went to the prison more than I did. But, I mean, I just remember going and just, again, it's just so weird that you just can't even believe you're sitting there. Um, And it was so, I don't know, it was so surreal and bizarre. But at the same time, it was really banal, you know. What would you guys do when you went to go visit him? Like, we would always stop and get, like, fast food and bring, um, you know, like, dinner or whatever. And then you just sat in this room, like, this – and it wasn't, like, a max security kind of – you know, it wasn't, like, what you would think of. Like, you're getting petted down and it's, Mm -hmm. like, this and this. It was actually very casual. Um, And so there was just, you know, tables and chairs and everybody just sat awkwardly and talked. Um, and, and was it like yeah. normal conversation, just like how's prison today or, and you guys, <laughs> or would you guys talk about the incident or would no, you, it was just no. like, no, no, no. What's going on, Larry? Type yeah. Of yeah. Just like, okay. So what, you know, what are your plans? And then there's the attempt to be like, so, you know, like, how are you, how are you guys doing in school or, you know, what, what music do you like or whatever, just because you're being thrown together with this person that did this thing and you're utter strangers and it's just, it's were so you, weird. Were you so irritated because you were in high school and you could probably be like having fun hanging out with your friends and you were like, hey friends, sorry, I have to go visit this guy in prison. With right. Right. Can you imagine oh my like, telling people that? Being like, hey, so by the way, check this out. Yeah. Were, um, were people so like, weird. were your friends like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I didn't tell a lot. I don't, I've changed a lot. Like, now I don't care, and I'll just tell you this story because I have nothing to be ashamed of. Like, this is yeah. what happened to me, and, like, it is bizarre, and if it helps anybody else to feel like they can talk about and process, cool, I'm all for it. But back then, you know, like you said, being a teenager, you're that's not exactly something you're going to, like, put out there. So 
I just told like a couple of close friends. And of course they were like, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong with your dad? And I'm like, I do not know. But my really close friends already knew that my dad was pretty mentally ill. So mm-hmm. even though it's crazy, you know, because he did have so many issues, it was kind of like, well, that's, you know, not completely out of the realm of something that, that he would do. Yeah. Okay. So, so then were you there when your dad approached a subject of, I'd like to adopt you? Mm-mm. That was, like with everything, super important. All those decisions were kind of made and my sister and I were not privy to any of it. Like we were kind of informed after the fact, like after the decision had been made. So it wasn't like, hey girls, this is what I'm thinking about doing. It was more like, you know, and the whole impetus for that was that Larry was going to be out on parole. And obviously, you know, you killed your parents. You are a convicted murderer, second degree murderer. You can't just like waltz out and integrate into community and like get a job and do this and do that. And he didn't, he literally didn't have any actual family. And so somehow, you know, I don't know, my dad thought that was the best course of action. And again, he's a full, full ass adult. Like this isn't like we're adopting, you know, a 10 year old. Oh my gosh. He, you know, wanted to bring him in and help him get set up with a job. And my dad has like little, um, you know, a Christian sense when it suits him. So I feel like that was kind of in there too, that that was like the Christian thing to do and it was the right thing to do to help this poor person out that had been so abused and blah, blah, blah. Do you think and it's so possible we were, your dad was trying to, to do, to do something good so he felt better about the bad things he'd done? I, I mean, I did always think that. And like when, when we, um, when I did this American life, when we kind of were trying to like parse everything, that was kind of like my working theory. Mm-hmm. But I kind of think in the end, I think that's a really nice theory that he was trying to sort of like right the wrongs that would have been done to him and like save someone's life. I think that sounds really beautiful Well, actually, no, I, I actually don't think it sounds nice. I think it sounds like uh, a cop-out for not actually not doing the bad things that your dad was doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and it's also like that's great and cute and everything, but why, if you wanted to make reparations – like, do that with your own family. Like, don't oh, bring point. in yeah. this outside thing, right? But my whole point is, like, I don't, after we kind of went through it, like, there was this whole part in the show where I still, like, I don't I don't talk to my dad. Mm-hmm. We're totally estranged. I decided years ago, like, you were just bad for my mental health. And not even in a vindictive way. I just, I can't deal with it. I can't. Mm-hmm. So I don't speak to him. So anyways, in the course of the show, the producer actually called my dad. Oh, well, you have um, to explain that part. We didn't explain that. There's a, there's a oh, movie yeah. about it. Is that what you're talking about? The movie or are you talking about oh, this no, American Oh, no, I was talking life? about This American Life. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, okay. We, we definitely have to get in the movie because that's okay. something else too. But, but anyways, long story short, it was just, so the producer actually, I had questions for him and we were kind of like, again, trying to solve this idea of why did you do this? What was your motivation? And I still, I just feel like after all of that, there isn't, there isn't a good answer. Like there's just not, I think it's mental illness. I think maybe there is a little part of my dad that in some misguided way wanted to help. I think there's kind of this martyr complex. Like I'm going to do this really crazy thing because Mm -hmm. I'm such a good person. Look at what a good person I am. Mm -hmm. Like it's just too, it's such a tangled, like fucked up spider web. I don't, I don't think I'll ever have a clear answer. And at this point I just kind of have to be okay with that. You know what I mean? There's like nothing else to do. I find that so frustrating when you just want an answer for something and it's just, yes. sometimes it's just, there's no, no, just is there's no is. resolution. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's frustrating as hell. So, okay. So they, okay. Where do we go from here after? So, okay. So they, 
he comes to live with us, and that's where another kind of weird transition takes place. So again, the context of this is you have two young girls and a mom and a dad in this house, and you're bringing in Larry, who brutally killed his parents, to live with us. And when I say adopted, I mean like literally legit adopted. Like he had my my last name and the whole nine. Um, And so it was really weird how the family dynamic sort of shifted because once all my dad's attention kind of got off of my sister and I and my mom, it really became laser focused on Larry, which had its benefits because then he wasn't like on our shit all the time. You know, because now it was all about Larry and how we were going to help Larry and what Larry was going to do. So things actually got a little bit better, which I know it's so weird and it makes no sense, but things actually became better for us in the house once Mm -hmm. Larry was there, just because we were no longer like bearing the brunt of that. I know it's so weird. So um, we didn't like, like I said, I wasn't all about hanging out with Larry a whole lot. Um, so he was in the house, like my dad helped him to put in job applications. He got a job, he started dating, which I remember at the time thinking like, how do you explain, like, I still can't wrap my mind around that. Like that's your, you know, you're getting to know someone and you have to be like, so, um, let me just kind of tell you my backstory. Um, so I remember as a teenager just being like, Oh God, like why would someone date you and how does this work? And I just found that so just crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, but he did, he started dating and like making friends. And again, people liked him. Like he was not creepy. He did not have a temper. He was very soft spoken, laid back. Like it, it didn't seem terribly difficult for him really to kind of integrate. But again, looking back on it now, I kind of wonder what portion of that was also that he did have um, some learning disabilities and some processing issues. And I wonder if some of like being so quiet and kind of laid back was kind of like a side function of that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But so anyway, so once Larry started kind of doing what you're supposed to do when you get out of jail, if the judicial system is actually working properly and prison is rehabbing you, um, and he started kind of like putting a life together for himself, my dad kind of started getting even weirder, if that's possible, um, to the point where I would say like a little obsessive, oh, um, wow. kind of, yeah, like controlling behavior. Um, so sometimes, you know, we speculated, like, did he have additional feelings for Larry that went beyond the bonds of, not that it's normal, period, but you know what I mean, whatever. Um, so I don't know. I have no idea. But he he sort of became really controlling, and I think Larry really sort of um, felt the constraints of that. And they eventually started fighting. They would have verbal fights. Um, I don't know if things ever escalated really to a physical level. But things started getting really bad between Larry and my dad. And eventually, wow. yeah, Larry started dating Well, because your dad, basically really did, your dad basically did what his parents did to him, which was exactly. too controlling over him. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, again, it's just like inception. Were you ever a little bit scared by that point when Larry started to get... Like no, because it was never, yeah, it was never anything. He never did that in front of us. Again, this would all be like, um, like reported from my mom that, that, that my dad and Larry had had a fight or whatever or stuff I know, that but kind just, of trickled out later. But just like, you know, when you described the incident where he murdered his first adopted parents, it was like, you know, you don't really know what happened that night. Like they had somewhat of a fight and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's people murdering right. in the house. Like, yeah, it's thinking back, you guys could have all been murdered. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. 
No, I, yeah, totally. But I, I don't know how to explain it. I think if you're not in that situation, I know it seems very much like, well, how could you not just walk around thinking that 24-7? But I honestly think we already, like, we're pretty messed up just as kids, like, way before Larry ever came in the picture. Yeah. And I think you just, you know, you have that, like, survival kind of mentality. And the level of just craziness with the Larry bit is so bizarre. You kind of just shut down, and I think you just numb yourself to that. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you just can't, if you walked around carrying all of that, I think everybody just would have had a complete breakdown. So you just yeah. kind of like, you know, you don't think about it, you repress it, you shove it down, and you just mm-hmm. kind of go on about your daily life. I know it sounds crazy, but it's just a coping mechanism. No, I know. I, t- I totally understand. I'm just thinking it's even more like you're like your dad's putting you guys in this situation, Why would he, right. fighting with him. Like, what? Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, why would you, knowing that history, are you trying to, like, incite? Yeah, I. I, I just, it's all, I don't know. I don't know. But totally, well, I, get, I get where you're coming from. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, eventually the estrangement grew to the point where Larry ended up marrying um, a woman that I guess my parents weren't too super fond of. Um, and they, <clears throat> compressing some of this, but eventually they um, moved out together, Larry and his, his wife at the time. And I really think my dad kind of never like got over that and it's like what did you think he was gonna live here forever like so weird that none of this makes any sense but the you know the cherry on top like what did you really think you he was gonna stay here and like be your bff for the next 30 years like of course he was event that was ostensibly the whole point of bringing him in and trying to help him and have him yeah. rebuild his life but then when he tried to do that you couldn't you know you couldn't deal with that so, so did, he, did, did larry and your dad talk at all well larry's passed away but what happened after he left so after he left, there was like, I guess, basically a period of a pretty bad estrangement. Like I remember my parents amended their will and they literally left Larry like a penny so he couldn't come back and contest their will. So I'm assuming it was, you know, things were pretty bitter um, between them. Mm-hmm. Again, as far as I know, primarily just because, you know, Larry had a life and he was getting married and he was leaving and he was going to do his own thing. And I think my dad always felt... Um, I don't know, like Larry wasn't grateful enough or Larry, after all they had done for him, he, he wasn't repaying them properly. Like that, again, that sort of martyr complex. So once he left, I think there was a little communication here and there, but I know for the most part, they were pretty, they were pretty much done with Larry. Like Mm -hmm. they, um, were again, just kind of like you did us wrong basically. And so the weird, it's just, I'm like, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder, Rachel. <laughs> so the last like weird thing. So they hadn't talked as far as I know, like for several years. And Larry in the meantime had moved from Maryland. He had divorced his first wife and he also had a child, by the way, which I don't really talk about or like talking about because they don't like, they're not out there talking about it and that's totally yeah. their right and their privilege. So I don't really get into all that, but, but he did have a kid. And did you um, ever meet his wife or kid or anything? Or did you never speak oh, yeah, to him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I knew the wife. I mean, I haven't spoken to her or seen her in years. But, yeah. But, no, not the child. Okay. Yeah. And she knows, like, you know. So, but that's, again, that's, like, her story to tell if she wanted to. So, yeah. he divorced and he moved to Florida, Larry. And he ended up meeting a woman out there and remarrying her. Mm-hmm. And so, then he, in 2005... Larry just unexpectedly died, like just dropped out of a heart attack. And he was 37. Wow. So young. Yeah. Yeah. It was really just kind of like, what? So, but then like once Larry died, then my dad wrote this really 
to me, just really gross, like, obituary that was kind of like, oh, and our loving son, when, again, they had been estranged for years at this point, and, like, I don't know, it's just really Oof. disturbing to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So disturbing. I know. And so then they ended up, maybe this will be the last weird thing except for the movie. So they ended up uh, speaking to Larry's wife in Florida. And my parents ended up moving from Maryland out to Florida, like pretty close to the town where Larry and his widow lived, which was very out of character. Like they lived in the same state their entire life. And I feel like it was yet another bizarre decision to like rewrite history and be like, Oh, we're going to go out and be close to Larry's widow and be close to where Larry was. And I remember at that time just being again, like what the fuck is happening? So, and they still live in Florida to this day. And I guess have sporadic communication with Larry's widow. And, uh, well, okay. So both your parents are still alive and do you guys don't really speak to them anymore? I don't speak to my father at all. I have it for years. Um, I'm in minimal communication with my mom, which makes me really sad, but she's just not willing, I guess. I mean, she's never, she's not going to leave. She's not, she's kind of made her choices and you know, that's, that's what it is. So I still, you know, we text and I talk to her. Um, not a lot, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I love my mom and, and whatever, but yeah, I don't really have any intentions of reconciling with my dad just because, again, it's just not, you know, it's not healthy. Like, he's never going to get better. Um, the things that he did are just so jacked up that I just choose to kind of remove myself from from that pattern. Yeah. Um, I t- don't blame you. I want to ask you a few more <laughs> questions before we wrap up. Um, okay. We've gone longer than I normally do, but this story is fascinating, so I want to keep hearing. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about the movie that was made, mm-hmm. and then... I want to ask you, like, how you and your sister are now after all of this. And then also okay. what, what happened to his little sister. The right. one that was okay. there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> so, wait, what was the first thing? Sorry, I'm trying well, to get Well, we, we, we forgot things. to touch oh, the, movie. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's so crazy that you're sitting just... there watching this story with, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was so weird. Um, so, the, I think it was NBC, like, one of those really cheesy, um, like sensationalistic made for TV crime movies. They ended up again, there was that book that the journalists had done. And so they took a lot of information from that, but this case was like a pretty, you know, it wasn't that common to, and it's still not that common to kill both of your parents. So a lot of people knew about it and because he was young when he did it. So they ended up making this made for TV movie and Larry was played by Neil Patrick Harris. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I remember like my sister freaking out because Neil Patrick Harris like called her house to talk to Larry, I guess for like character motivation. I don't even know. And again, that was one of those things where like, it's almost funny. It's just so fucked up that it just becomes funny. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's just like, what is happening? And and we ended up, oh, and then the dude, I don't remember this dude's name. I don't know if you'll know it, but he was, um, oh my God, he was on Roseanne. He was Darlene's boyfriend's. With the brown curly hair. Do you know oh, I mean? uh, yeah, I don't remember his name, though. Okay. So that dude, um, oh, it's the, isn't he on the Big Bang Theory? Yes. It's that dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, whoever that dude is. So he played Larry's brother, Michael, as well. And, like, it's a terrible movie, obviously. It's, like, just ridiculous and hyperbolic. But I remember being like, are you serious? Like, we're going to watch, we're going to sit here with Larry and watch the reenactment of what Larry did, like, play out. And I remember just 
feeling like disassociating, like going out of my body almost like during the murder scene. Oh my gosh. Um, because there's Larry like sitting there with everyone and he's oh watching himself. God. He's watching Doogie Hauser like recreate <sighs> and like, oh God. And, and of course it's a TV movie. And so the drama's like up to 11. And now I'm just like, I, I don't know. It just, it's, it is funny because it's so horrible, but then it's not. And it's just kind of makes me feel sick and like, what the hell? And it's one of those things I really wish if he had been alive, I could be like, Larry, what were you thinking sitting there with this other crazy family that adopted you watching what you did play out in this imagine. movie? How, no, and what I know. was he saying or doing? What did you guys do after the movie? Was it just like, oh, okay, could have been better? Was like, yeah, I mean, I feel like there was some, I, I feel like we just sort of like made fun of how, um, again, kind of like sensationalistic and just kind of corny, cheesy it was, mm -hmm. but absolutely nothing of like, um, actual import or, you know what I mean? It was like, everyone was too scared and apprehensive to actually be like, so was there some verisimilitude with that? Did that, you know, did that ring true to you? Um, so yeah, nothing like, I, obviously I really wish I could do that now, but no, it was just like, we watched the movie and made fun of a couple things, and that that was it. Just go to bed. Done. Oh, my gosh. Just another day. Insane. I know. It really is. So how are you and your sister doing now? Were you able to, like, process it and get past this? I mean, I'm sure it will always be with you. There's no way it's not. Yeah. I mean, it is something you always kind of carry. I mean, we weren't close for a really long time, I think, just because when you're in that, that situation, either you grow closer or you kind of grow apart. Mm -hmm. And, um, the kind of kid I was, I just like, I mean, I left, I graduated high school at 17 and I was like, bye. And just like left the state to go to school. I just could not get out of there fast enough. Mm -hmm. So I think like we both process stuff a little bit differently. So we didn't have the best relationship for a long time, but we actually, once we started kind of like actually talking about memories of stuff and talking about the abuse and talking about Larry. Um, we did start to really sort of bond and connect in a way that we hadn't for a long time. Um, and we actually are really, really close now and oh, we have a really cool. good, great relationship. Yeah, it is. And we're just, we can kind of commiserate and just be like, what the fuck? And remember when this happened and that happened. And I mean, I consider her like my only true family, which mm -hmm. is sad, but I'm really glad that, that I do have her in that way. Yeah. Know? And you guys both went on to like, you know, live normal lives. I mean, you're a super accomplished writer and, and you know, you teach at a college. I, mean, I don't know that I would say all that, but I mean, I'm functional. <laughs> well, functional. seems, hey, we're all basically, yeah, I mean, we're all basically think, functional. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it could, sometimes I'm like, all right, we did all right for ourselves. Like we couldn't be like, you know, in a ditch somewhere right now because we just couldn't deal with anything. Yeah. But, um, but it is, it is really hard and it definitely incurs mental health stuff and depression and anxiety that people... A lot of people can relate to, to this story, except for the adopting a murderer part. That yeah. <laughs> just takes it extra. Yeah. <laughs> but do you think a general sort of premise, like, it makes me really sad, but so many people reached out because they were like, oh, my God, I went through the same thing with my family, and I couldn't tell anybody, and I always felt so ashamed, and blah, blah, blah. So it's something that, as horrible and scarring as it is, like, people are really strong, and it kind of unites people. And I do think it's, it's really important to kind of talk about this stuff. Is this something you talk about on your podcast or your podcast is mostly other, like other like true crime stories? Yeah. Yeah. We kind of started the podcast just like, I wasn't this super huge true crime creep. It wasn't like something I always did. Mm -hmm. And then the older I got, I think I didn't want to think about all the Larry stuff. And then once I started writing about it and thinking about like why people do the things they do and what their motivations are, then it sort of segued into 
like looking at cases and then like once you start, well, you know, like you're a true crime person. Oh yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's... And once you start, you're kind of like, oh my God. And you get on the rabbit hole of this case and that mm-hmm. case. So we did like our first episode, we just kind of explained sort of like my story and then my co-host had a, a murder in her family. But yeah, the focus is definitely like other, other cases and trying to just look at psychology and just use academic sources mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on. And just a lot of shit talking basically because that's I think, just how it goes. I think you should be a guest on my, fr- my friends have a podcast called White Wine True Crime. I mean, you can talk oh, yeah, about I your s- podcast. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. You could talk about your story on it, but you guys could also just, like, uh, recap another true crime story. They're really fun, yeah, too. That'd be really fun. They're yeah. great. They're hilarious. Yeah, they're funny. Uh, one of them's going to be having a baby soon, so I don't know if they're doing podcasts for a while, but I actually already right. texted her before I got on the phone with you and was like, you need to have this girl on your podcast. <laughs> so, That's yeah. awesome. Um, okay, last question, and then we'll do, like, where we can find you and everything. Um, okay. What happened to Larry's little sister, the one that was in the house? Do you know? Right. So... Yeah, I mean, she's okay as far as I know. That, like, I never had, um, you know, really a lot of contact with her. The last thing I had seen, like, every once in a while, like, new interest will pop up in the case. And this was like, I don't, it wasn't ID, but it was like ID. It was like a, a Killer Kids type show, or it might have been Killer Kids. I don't know. But they had reached out to me and were like, oh, do you want to be on this? And I was like, no, because I don't, I'm not about trying to, like, exploit stuff. You know yeah, what I mean? I just, totally. so that's not my jam. But, she was on, Annie was on, they interviewed her, which no shade to her. She can do whatever she wants. That's cool. That's her story. Um, so she was interviewed on this, the particular um, episode focusing on Larry and what he did. And she, to the best of my knowledge, has always been really supportive. I mean, not supportive of what he did, but supportive in that he was a really good brother to her. And I think she does really think that he wanted to kind of protect her and that played into what he did. And she doesn't... Um, She's not one to sort of speak poorly of him, and she seems, you know, to be to be okay in terms of, you know, I don't have specifics, but she survived. She made it out of there, mm-hmm. and occasionally she does seem open to, to talking about the case. So that's crazy. Well, she yeah. was very young yeah. too. I mean, she probably she was. She, she was a little little girl. Well. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this, and you were thank a delight, you. and uh, you're a wonderful writer and a wonderful speaker. Oh, thank you so much. Give yourself some more credit. (laughs) And I'm going to start listening to your podcast now. So tell everyone where they can find you on, like, social media and your podcast. Okay. So I have a personal Twitter, but it has cobwebs on it because I never use it. So (laughs) if people want to follow our podcast, which is called Bone Palace Ballet, they can follow us at Bone Ballet Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Bone Palace Ballet True Crime. And you can listen to Bone Palace Ballet on iTunes or whatever, you know, whatever streaming service that you use. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, And I guess I'll say my socials. Uh, Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-N-O-B-R-I-E-N. And show date's coming up. Uh, Well, tonight I'll be at the Comedy Store, but I guess I'm not releasing this until next week, so it doesn't matter. But it's still a cool show. It's uh, Judd Apatow (laughs) is on it, which I'm pretty proud of. Judd Apatow, Pete Holmes, Jamie Kennedy, Nemer, myself, Mark Sartre, a bunch of great people. Uh, And then on October 25th, I'll be at uh, the San Diego Comedy Store, the La Jolla Comedy Store. So get tickets for that, guys. And, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for doing this, Amity. Thank you for having me. All right, bye. Bye.